Welcome to another episode of The Happy Runner, a podcast from runners to runners and those who want to become runners. My name is Roman and today I host Brody to talk about running injuries above the knee. Hi Brody and welcome to The Happy Runner. Thanks for having me on once again, Roman. It's always a pleasure. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's the fourth time you are on my podcast. The first time we talked about running misconceptions and since you are a physiotherapist, our second talk was about running injuries below the knee. The third one about running injuries around the knee. And today we will talk about running injuries above the knee. But before we do so, I was uh, going through your web page to do a little research on the topic and found that you wrote also in your blog posts about running technique. Do you think that proper running technique can prevent injuries? Yeah, that's a, a tough one to answer, um, a one that the research isn't too clear on. But what I can say is there are a few things that a runner can adjust with their running um, to reduce their risk of injuries, but it's probably not a, as much as you might expect. The two things that I can think of that the literature clearly shows is that an increasing cadence might help become, make you more of an efficient runner. Uh, but that's only for those who are currently running with a very low cadence. So ones that are, their cadence is say around 150 or low 160s. And they, they might benefit from increasing their cadence by say 10%. Um, but what cadence is ideal for them is another question. The other one that some runners will benefit from is if they elicit an overstride pattern in their running. So if they contact with their heel really far in front of their body when they first make contact with the ground, that's producing a lot of unwanted braking forces and they will definitely benefit from making their initial contact. doesn't matter if it's with the heel or with the midfoot or with the forefoot, but if it's closer to underneath their body, that's what's gonna make them more efficient and potentially reduce their risk of injuries. However, it's worth knowing if we're on this subject that the vast majority of running injuries isn't due to running technique. It's not due to muscle imbalance. It's not due to stiffness. It's not due to weakness. It's mainly due to an abrupt in training or doing too much too soon and what we call these training errors. And that's when it leads to the, uh, the body not adapting and producing those sort of injuries. And so, you might have someone do a running assessment on you if you are injured and point out all of these flaws because no one's perfect and they might say that's a link to injury when in fact it's possibly it, it's more common that the injury arose because of a training error rather than a biomechanical issue okay so uh back to injuries above the knee uh Let's talk through the most common of these injuries. Sure. Um, one of the most common 
that is above the knee, I would say would be ITB syndrome, uh, which most runners know where the ITB is. It's this really thick fascia that's on the outside of their thigh. Uh, if it's ITB friction syndrome, it's mainly on the outside of their knee, but the pain can extend higher up into the ITB itself. And depending on the, the type of injury, depending on what produced this type of injury, we mainly see it, it's more common in females. We sometimes see like a hip drop or we see like a crossover um, gait pattern when they are running which is fine in most circumstances, but if it's linked, like I said, with an, with overtraining or having these training errors, the ITB can undergo strain. And if it, there's too much ITB strain, then the, uh, the site starts getting sore. And so it's best for those particular types of injuries to have a couple of days rest, potentially strengthen up some of the glutes if it is if the ITB is undergoing particular soreness, then building up the capacity of the muscles around that fascia can definitely bring on, um, can definitely help support the healing. And then if you're noticing that time and time again, the ITB keeps getting sore, then we can talk about some gait retraining where we actually change how someone runs. And if we change the way someone runs, it might reduce the strain on the ITB but we're only just redirecting the force somewhere else. So higher up in the knee, or higher up in the hip or further down the leg. But there are a few things that we can do. And one thing that I think I should mention with ITB friction syndrome is that stretching and foam rolling and massages, they can help, but they only just reduce the pain. They don't do anything else to the structure itself. The ITB is so thick and it's so fibrous. It's very, very tough to, to move. It's very, um, very, huff, very tough to manipulate. And so if you roll a foam roller over it or if you get someone to massage it, you're not lengthening it. You're definitely not stretching it. It's way too thick to stretch anything of the ITB, but <clears throat> it can help reduce symptoms. So that's when we need to um, recognize if you do decide to get some dry needling or some massage or some foam rolling on the ITB, yes, it might be might make you feel better, but what is it actually achieving? Usually it's just a short-term benefit without really um, changing much about the capacity or changing its length or um, any of those long-term strategies. So we wanna make sure that your rehab is combined with some short-term strategies to reduce the pain but also some long-term strategies so that you're able to overcome this injury in the long-term. Okay, so let's move on to the next one, Brody. Yeah, I think the next one that comes to my mind would be uh, a hamstring injury, particularly with runners, um, what we call proximal hamstring tendinopathy. And this, is this can get very nasty. This is one that I see a lot when I work with runners online. It is the tendon that it, that's from the hamstring that attaches onto your sitting bone. And so a lot of people have this condition and think it's high up in the hip. They think it's like a glute muscle injury. When they sit, it gets quite irritated. Um, when in fact, it's actually the hamstring tendon, it attaches all the way up onto your sitting bone. And sometimes with sprinting, sometimes with just doing too much mileage too soon, that tendon can get quite irritated. And 
what where people really get into trouble is that tendon can become quite weak if you remove a lot of your exercise and you remove a lot of your running and the tendon actually becomes weaker then over a period of weeks over a period of months a lot of things begin to irritate it because it becomes so weak and so like we said commonly with sitting sitting becomes an issue bending forward becomes an issue um, squatting becomes an issue and obviously running running hills even walking hills can sometimes be an issue depending on the level of irritation um, so it's very important that if someone does have this type of injury we need to work out where their current capacity is how much um, how much load can the tendon currently tolerate and then we need to train with strength and conditioning we need to train outside of what we call compression of the tendon to start with to see uh, how much loading we can take through that and then once things start feeling better then we need to train the tendon into compression so doing things like deadlifts and doing things like squats and lunges as long as the tendon can tolerate it and then working on speed working on plyometrics and slowly getting them back into that higher capacity range and then throughout that process making sure that we're reintroducing running as soon as they're able to tolerate low levels of running and making sure that running is also a part of their rehab because a lot of people gain a lot of fear around sitting fear around bending fear around loading up that tendon because it's been so sore for so long um, but there's a whole nother conversation to have with that and i've actually done a lot of podcast episodes on this particular condition because it can be so confusing and people can have it for such a long period of time sometimes several years they're not too sure exactly what steps they need to take so if people want to learn more about that they can find my podcasts and um, listen to some of those episodes okay and uh what about the hip area you mentioned it a few times before i think a lot of runners uh, have some problems also in their hips yeah um most commonly what we call lateral hip pain which is hip pain more on the outside um, of the glute area it's probably the most common area for runners around the hip um, so it has a number of different Uh, names for it, greater trochanter um, hip pain or just lateral hip pain. And like anything, like all of these injuries, it's due to an overload of a certain muscle that's exceeded its capacity to adapt. So someone's either ran too fast or they've reintroduced hills too quickly or they've ran too far um, and hasn't allowed the body enough time to get used to that mileage and it's come quite sore. And this is also something that can affect people outside of running. So if their hips get quite sore, all of a sudden sleeping on their side is quite irritated. Sometimes sitting can be quite irritated, especially if they like to cross their legs when they're, um, when they're sitting. Um, going upstairs can start to produce some pain. And this one can be quite simply solved with I'm kind of repeating myself here with a lot of these injuries, but it's finding what capacity that uh, hip currently has, seeing what their mechanics are currently like, seeing if there's a lot of a, what we call a hip drop. So if they're standing on one leg, can they control their pelvis? Um, is there, do they have enough strength to do that? If they're hopping on that one side, is there enough control in the muscles around the glutes in order to control the pelvis and keep that pelvis level? Um, if we are seeing like a hip drop and we're seeing like a knee cutting in, we know that the glutes can potentially appear quite weak. 
And so we do want to start doing a lot of strengthening around the quads, a lot of strengthening around the hips, a lot of strengthening around the trunk, and just building up that capacity. And once you build up that capacity of the glutes and all those areas are suggested, then we slowly start returning to running. Then we start slowly seeing what levels of running you can tolerate and build up from there. And if they're still having issues, potentially doing some gait retraining to change their running technique, um, potentially widening their step width can be quite nice for this particular injury, potentially increasing their cadence. If you have a look at them running and their cadence is quite low, making that adjustment can help the hips because it's been shown that if you increase your cadence, um, there's more, um, there's not a lot, it distributes a lot of the load. And so it distributes away from just that hip and away a to, the, to the thigh and to the knee and yes, to the hip, but it's evenly distributed. And so they can be some really nice adjustments that you can make. Okay, so uh, in the past, we learned from you that we can self-detect some injuries and that it's uh, better to go to a physician than to seek advice in the internet. A lot of advice uh, I found uh, was that you need to strengthen your hip or work on your hip mobility in order to prevent uh, different injuries, not only in the hip area, but also in the knee area and below the knee. So what would you say about this advice? I don't think there's a lot of evidence to show that, say, a rigid hip increases your risk of injury. Uh, I do think from a personal opinion, if someone doesn't have a lot of hip extension, so that, that leg going backwards, which is what you need if you have to stride forwards, if someone's really lacking in that area, then potentially they can do some mobility work to help their running stride. But a lot of runners that I see think they have really tight hips and then you actually move them around and you have a look at how they're running and they're actually getting close to full range. And running isn't like gymnastics or dancing. You don't really need to push your hip to large range of movement. So if you can achieve enough range to do a running cycle efficiently, then you don't necessarily need to work on hip mobility. What I would suggest is um, hip strength is way more important than hip mobility when it comes to trying to manage uh, running loads and trying to make sure that you're reducing your risk of injury as much as possible. Okay, uh, one last question. Uh, I got it from a few of the listeners. Uh, they tried to run uh, in a carbon plated shoe. Uh, we all know they're quite popular in the last few years and they experienced some shin uh, pain on their first or first few runs. I know uh, this is something below the knee, but uh, is it related to those running shoes? Or what do you think about it, Brody? Uh, it's hard to give out really accurate advice without knowing more about the particular circumstances. However, I will say that knowing the information we do have, it seems more likely that they just haven't adapted to that style of shoe quick enough. And there is some 
I, I have a podcast episode on this as well, how to safely like transition from one shoe to another. And we know that with say a carbon fiber plate, yes, the carbon fiber shoes um, do have different characteristics. And so you might be used to say a 10 mil heel drop, a certain weight of a shoe, a certain rigidity of a shoe, um, and certain flexibility, you might say. But if you change your shoes, if you change the quality or you change the characteristics of your of your shoe, you do, you do need time to transition into that shoe and you do need time to adapt to that change in shoe. And so while I don't think it is the actual shoe itself that's causing these injuries, it is most likely or more likely that the transition from going to their old shoe to this new shoe uh, might have been too much. So maybe the weight of the shoe might have been too heavy or maybe that it's too rigid. Um, but we don't need to blame the shoe. We can just wait to go back to your old shoes, wait for these sort of pains to settle and then make a more gradual transition into that shoe. So maybe run for five minutes in the shoe, then swap out the shoes and run the rest of your run in your shoes that you're, you're familiar with or ones that you've adapted to. And then next time if everything feels great, then do it for maybe eight minutes or 10 minutes and go for your run and then swap your shoes out and make a more gradual approach rather than, okay, I have these new shoes, let me go for a run. And then they run for 5Ks or half an hour or 60 minutes and then they start complaining of um, certain tissues or certain areas of the body becoming sore. Okay, uh, thanks a lot, Brody. I'm sure we all learned a lot from you today. And uh, as you mentioned before, for those uh, who want to hear more about the topics, they can find it in your own podcasts. Uh, it's the Run Smarter podcast, if I remember correctly. Is it so? Yes, correct. Okay, so thanks once again for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to the episode. If so, I would appreciate you subscribe to the Happy Runner podcast and recommend it to other runners you know. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts and on our webpage. Happy running!